My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Brandy about her duo of invisible conditions, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and autism. Brandy had a difficult time in childhood, growing up with two conditions that she did not know she had. She not only struggled socially with her undiagnosed autism, having difficulty picking up social cues, but also struggled with her physicality, getting hurt all the time, feeling like she was just too stretchy, having dislocations constantly, and on top of that, feeling like no one believed her when she tried to get help. After years of struggling to get doctors to take her seriously, Brandy finally got angry and started pushing harder and harder, insisting that doctors believe her, take her seriously, and finally get diagnosed with both HEDS and autism in her mid-30s. Brandy's story is extremely relatable to anyone living through chronic illness, and this episode is filled with great quotes. And I actually am going to read one to you. This is a quote from Brandy from this episode. In general, getting those diagnoses were the best things that have ever happened in my life to let me move forward with being who I really am on the inside, being who I am in my mind and in my heart, other than just a bag of defective bones. A topic we touched on in this episode is the fact that hypermobile EDS, or Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, seems to be on the rise. There seems to be an explosion of people being diagnosed with this condition. And I asked Brandy about her thoughts on this, but after having this discussion, I was still thinking about it, because this, this is a condition that's been coming up on the podcast a lot recently. So I did a little bit of research, and I found a really interesting article. This is from EllersDanlosNews.com, and I'll just read you this paragraph called New Studies on Prevalence. A study published in the British Medical Journal in 2019 examined the number of reported hypermobile EDS cases in Wales. The study in Wales is in the place, not as in, you know, the creature. Uh, the study searched medical records for diagnoses and found one in 500 medical cases between June 1990 and July 2017 with either hypermobile EDS or another type of EDS. The researchers concluded that hypermobile EDS is far more common than has been previously reported, and in fact, may not be a rare disease at all. The study also noted more patients being diagnosed in the most recent years examined, indicating that physicians are getting better at detecting EDS, especially its milder forms, which in previous decades might have gone undiagnosed. However, the Ehlers-Danlos Society, in response to the study, cautioned that its findings may not be predictive of how common EDS is worldwide. Both groups suggest that more in-depth studies be performed, allowing for a better estimate of the worldwide prevalence of EDS. So it seems like there's several factors going on. One is uh, doctors are getting better at diagnosing EDS. Something Brandy mentions in this episode is that patients are becoming more aware of EDS. So people are going to their doctors and advocating to be tested for HEDS because they've heard of it, because it's become so prevalent on social media. And the third piece of this is that EDS might not be a rare disease. It might be much more common than is previously thought. So this trend may continue, that, uh, that we continue to see more and more people diagnosed with some form of EDS. 
But what I find most interesting is the individuality of the experience. How when you have a chronic illness and you don't know what it is, you tend to feel so incredibly isolated and alone. And when you finally get that diagnosis, you finally have a lens through which to understand your own body in a way that you never have before. And once again, we have a really wonderful example of that talking to Brandy today. She did a really, really excellent job explaining her situation, her history, and how it has changed her life to finally get a diagnosis. So I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you today, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. I have a few pieces of news to share with you today. So first, we'll start with my personal news. Uh, So I mentioned recently that I had tested positive for a parasitic infection called cystocercosis, and for a moment, I thought that I might have solved the puzzle of my mystery illness. But then I spoke with infectious disease, and they believed it was a false positive result. They ran some follow-up testing, and I got the results, and it was indeed a false positive result. The follow-up testing showed no evidence of cystocercosis. So that combined with the imaging that the infectious disease looked at and my history History not lining up with the general history for someone with this disease, it's pretty conclusive that I do not have this parasitic infection. And it, it feels kind of unnecessarily cruel to have tested positive for something that on paper seemed like it might have explained my condition. Uh, and this is the danger of doing your own research. You know, I, I dived into research on cystocercosis as soon as I saw that positive test result without talking to a doctor or a specialist. Um, And I was just convinced that I had it. I really convinced myself that I had it. We talked about it on a bonus episode for the Patreon, and I was just brimming with excitement. And then I spoke to infectious disease, and they really brought my expectations down. And now they have just been completely quashed. So yeah, that disease is out the window. Yet another potential diagnosis out the window. And it's just sucks. It's just so frustrating, you know, to to keep feeling like I'm right on the brink of getting getting a diagnosis and not getting it is so frustrating. But in these moments, I always have to choose to look forward. I just finished my two-week heart monitor. Um, I wore a heart monitor for two weeks and I sent it back to the lab and they're going to start evaluating it. So, you know, my doctor believes I might have POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So hopefully I'll find that out soon or at least figure out, you know, what's next. I'm still waiting to be scheduled for a tilt table test. So there's still a lot, you know, on the horizon as far as potential diagnoses are concerned. I definitely don't have cystocercosis. I will keep you updated when more news comes in. This week on the podcast, we have a sponsor for the first time ever. This episode of Major Pain is sponsored by Handicup. Regular listeners of the podcast will remember Chris, who appeared on the show in Season 1, Episode 30, talking about his spinal cord injury, and the fact that after his injury, he not only became an advocate for others with spinal cord injuries, but he also became an inventor, creating a product called the Handicup which is a cup holder that fits onto your wheelchair or walker. I own one and I love it. And Chris reached out and asked if I'd be interested in helping to promote the Handicup this week. And I was thrilled because, you know, getting into sponsorships in the future of the podcast is definitely something I'm open to, but only if it's something that I think is helpful and beneficial to this community. And this is something that I wholeheartedly believe that about because I love this product. It's a drink holder that slips right under the cushion of your wheelchair or walker. I use it on my wheelchair, and I don't just use it to hold a drink. I also use it to hold my cell phone all the time or my gloves, anything that I need to keep handy in front of me. Uh, The Handy Cup is perfect. I did post up a video on TikTok and Instagram showing it off if you want to check it out. 
And if you want to pick one up for yourself, you can head to handicup.com, H-A-N-D-I-C-U-P.com, and enter in the code MAJORPAIN15 at checkout for 15% off. Back when Chris appeared on the podcast, he did set up a discount code, but this time your purchases will actually support this podcast. So if you are a wheelchair user or you have a friend and you want to get one as a gift, this is a great opportunity to support not just this show, but a really awesome product and a fantastic person who started this company. So I'm really excited to be partnering with Handicap this week, and I hope you'll check them out. I'm also thrilled to announce that we have a brand new Patreon producer this week. So... On Patreon, we have three different tiers of support. If you want to donate to support this podcast monthly, the supporter tier at $2 per month, the patron tier at $7 per month, and the producer tier at $25 per month, our highest tier. We have a brand new producer who goes by Hipster Leia. This is an amazing person who's been so supportive of the podcast. I actually had the pleasure of interviewing her just a couple of days ago, so that episode's going to come out probably in about a month, month and a half from now. But just a couple days after our interview, I saw that Hipster Leia had signed up to become our newest Patreon producer. Uh, And I'm just so incredibly grateful. This is incredible support that really helps to keep this podcast going. Uh, So I have a gift for you. I have a Major Pain tote bag and a coaster, both of which made by my mom. I'm going to be mailing that out to you at the beginning of the month. And from now on, I will always thank you in the beginning of each episode, uh, where I thank all of our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and now hipster leia thank you all so much for helping to keep this show going and of course i have credits at the very end of the episode where i mention everyone at the patron and producer tier by name and i've added hipster leia to that list if you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to help support it uh, becoming a patreon subscriber is one of the best ways to do so head to patreon.com slash major pain podcast to learn more or you can head to our website majorpainpodcast.com slash support to learn about all the ways you can help to support this show i got a lot of really great feedback from our episode last week with caitlin you know we got a little heated talking about medical gaslighting and how it feels to be constantly denied care and i did get a really great email from danielle that i wanted to share Wow, what a podcast with Caitlin. I had goosebumps listening to the two of you tonight. I relate to you both beyond words. Thank you for all you were doing with your podcast. Danielle, thank you so much for reaching out. Danielle is also one of our patrons, and I appreciate that so much. I love hearing from listeners. You can always reach out to me at our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I'll remind you, as always, that my guests and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we're going to hop into our fantastic discussion with Brandy about her two invisible conditions, hypermobile EDS and autism. Brandy, welcome to the podcast. Hi. This is one we've been rescheduling over and over for, for months now, and we're finally <laughs> finally seeing each other and ready to record. I'm so excited to chat with you. So am I. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brandy, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, my name is Brandy Cross. I live in Missouri. I own a comic shop called Distant Planet Comics and Collectibles with my spouse and then a business partner, a friend since high school. Um, we've been open for about seven years, I think, and we're just a little bitty comic shop that we kind of cater more towards the indie market and towards your atypical fan base. So we do a lot with kids comics, 
a lot with minority creators. Um, we do carry a pretty extensive line of like anti-racism, anti-fascism and queer titles um, to help promote that and our be a better human section. So that's the business side of me. The fun side of me is that I am a huge comic nerd, of course, but I also am really into like movies. I love music. Um, I used to be a musician. My father's a musician. So music's very important to me. And also I practice martial arts despite having a disability. So that is a huge factor in my life too. Wow, so cool. Yeah, it's, we're, we're into a lot of the same stuff, it sounds like. We were actually connected through Kelsey, uh, mm-hmm. one of our, our guests on the show, um, who's also into all the nerdy things. So, <laughs> every time yes. we have a fellow nerd on the show, it's so hard for me to not just talk nerd the whole time. But I do have I to know. ask a few nerdy questions because you're here. Of course, <laughs> of course. And Kelsey, Kelsey is one of my closest friends. She is my Aziraphale to my Crowley. Oh, amazing. From Good Omens. So she is absolutely loved by me. Wow, that's awesome. I, I watched like half the first episode of Good Omens. And I'm like, this is great. I need to watch the it's, rest of this. Yeah, it was, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I love David Tennant and anything. But okay, I have to ask, what what's your favorite? What is oh, this is tough. Let's go favorite movie. What's your favorite movie? Favorite movie of all time? I would have to say probably it's going to be a tie. I don't think I can do absolute favorite. But John Carpenter's The Thing, mm. um, tied with Guardians of the Galaxy, the first okay. one. The awesome. second one was great, too, but the first one was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I Both fantastic movies. And both movies I did yeah. podcasts about back in the day with my, with my sci-fi shows. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I can watch John Carpenter's The Thing over and over, and every time I still jump. Yeah, that movie was wild. Like, that... Mm-hmm. I, I watched that for the first time probably like seven-ish years ago, I would say. And I was absolutely blown away because mm-hmm. they just don't make movies like that anymore. You know, no. they make build this like animatronic rubber monster that is horrifying and everything that they shot was in the room. You know, they didn't yeah. add stuff in post-production. Like they had to make that thing in real life. And I miss that so much. I just love I that have- style of filmmaking. Yeah, it was it, even by today's standards, it's a brilliant film. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, your comic store sounds fantastic. I wish I lived close so I could come visit. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love comics and comic book stores. I, I have to. Okay, two more nerd questions, then we'll move on. Um, what What got you into comics? Um, I've always been a bit of a nerd slash geek. Um, as far as actually reading comics, I was more on the um, collectible card game side. I've, I've been playing Magic the Gathering with my spouse and best friend Gabe since the mid-90s. Uh, but comics were still pretty important to me. I just wasn't as into them as our business partner, Alfonso, is. So I was more into collectibles. I love statues, you know, figures, stuff like that, putting together little models. And then... One day I was just like, you know, I am tired of being an accountant. So, because accounting, the field was okay, but I didn't like being in an office. It was not healthy for me. And so the three of us were just like, well, let's just open a business then. Bonzo knows enough about comics because he's been collecting since he was a little kid. I know a good deal about collectibles and card games. And Gabe's our IT guy who also knows a good deal about collectibles. 
So I came a little later to the comics portion of it, but obviously I got sucked in as soon as we started ordering inventory because there's always something cool that grabs your attention. So I've, I've turned into a huge comic nerd even more since we opened the store. It's really opened my eyes to a lot of new series. I, I adore comic books. That In my comics heyday, like what I loved about it is that when you're reading a book, you're imagining everything. When you're watching a movie, you're imagining nothing because it's all presented in front of you. And when you're reading a mm-hmm. comic book, it's the perfect uh, combination of the two where your imagination is filling in between the panels, but you mm-hmm. have some visual stimuli to kind of guide you along the way. So it's just a really brilliant medium. You know, like I, I like, like every comic nerd, I was obsessed with Watchmen. Um, that was like what really got me into the genre. Mm-hmm. But then I, I went on this deep dive for years where I was like getting all the Vertigo comics and, um, you know, reading like Preacher and Fables, Ex Machina, mm-hmm. all the stuff. I just, yeah. I, I love it. It's so great. For me, it, it was Archie that got me when oh, I was really? a little kid. Wow. I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. And I loved Jughead especially. And I cosplay as Jughead a lot because he, <laughs> he's me in comic form. Wow. You know? All the right, all the way down to being ace because Jughead is asexual. Mm. So it was, it was just a perfect fit for me. Um, absolutely love Archie. But then there, there was a, there were a few series in like the uh, early '90s. I want to say um, Leonard Nimoy did a series way back in the '90s, actually, that I really just loved, and I can never remember the name of it. But that kind of reignited the whole, you know, maybe I want to take a deeper dive into comics again. Because yeah. I was never into the big names. I'm not a tights and fights person. Um, capes and cowls, don't like those, really. Um, the only Marvel characters I like are, I love Shang-Chi, obviously, martial arts, um, Doctor Strange, and um, Rocket Raccoon, though, is my absolute favorite. Uh, Rocket's my boy. <laughs> so you can kind of see how I didn't go for the main characters. I kind of off, went off to the characters that do their own thing, like Moon Knight, you yeah. know? So I, I kind of started getting more into that by avoiding the big two and taking a look at what else was out there. Crime stories, stuff like that. Supernatural things. Talking animals. Anthropomorphic animals is my absolute favorite genre. <laughs> So, yeah, you yeah. can really get lost. Once you get the courage to look past the tights and fights, you can really get lost into some good stuff. Totally. And you just reminded me, my first comic was Garfield. When I when I was a kid, nice. I was obsessed with Garfield. Oh, me too. I loved Garfield. The little books that you get at like the, the book fairs. The ones that are like the weird rectangles. I still have some of those as well. And like Gary Larson, <laughs> The Far Side. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that stuff when I was, when I was a, a little kid. Um, I do have to ask my last nerd question for you. So we live in the era of franchises, you know, Star Trek, mm-hmm. Star Wars, Marvel. What's your what's your favorite franchise? That's a hard one, honestly, because I am both a Trekkie and a Star Wars fan. Yeah, me too. In about equal proportion, I think, because they serve different functions in my entertainment. Exactly. Very different. Um, I am not so much a DC fan. Um, not sure why. Wonder Woman's great, but never really got into DC. Marvel, like I said, I kind of split it. I, I like the anti-heroes, you know, even Deadpool. I like Deadpool too. And but I don't like so much the heroes. Mm. But I don't like the villains either. So I would say probably Star Trek and Star Wars are my 
my favorite big franchises. Now, if you wanted to go into the smaller, lesser known ones, Saga is my absolute mm. favorite I need comic to read series, that. probably. I've heard great um, things about Saga. Yeah. You can get lost in it. You can read it multiple times and it will tear your heart out every time. It'll make you laugh and then it'll make you tear. It'll just tear you to pieces. Yeah. It'll make you want to throw the book across the room and then pick it right back up. Wow. I got to check that one out. But yeah, Star yeah. Trek and Star Wars, those are my top two. I think Star Trek edges it out for me. But you're right, they serve different functions. Like mm -hmm. Star Trek, it, for me, has always been the sort of like in, uh, intellectual, empathetic. And Star Wars is more the like emotional and spiritual. Um, and I mm -hmm. love them both. I think yeah, the whole idea absolutely. that you have to choose between is ridiculous because they're both fantastic. No. No. In, our, in our house, they're equal. Absolutely yeah. equal. Uh, yeah, the, the further I get away from making science fiction podcasts, the harder it is for me to not talk about it when I... <laughs> when we have people on the yeah. show who are into that stuff. But let's let's get into what we're here to talk about. Uh, yes. So, Brandy, what is your major pain? My major pain is H-type Ehlers-Danlos. Yes. And I, I have other things that are a pain. Like, I am autistic as well. but it, And I have migraines, things like that. But it really is the H-type Ehlers-Danlos syndrome that slows my life down when I don't want it to be slowed down. Hmm and causes significant problems for me. And that's the, the hyper, hypermobile? Yeah, that is the hypermobile type. Um, it is what I refer to as the best type of Ehlers-Danlos to have <laughs> because you most likely are not going to die from it. Um, you're not going to lose parts of your body from it. You're not going to have major complications that require extensive surgeries for the most part. There are people who do end up having much worse complications from it than I do. Um, but it is definitely life impacting. Yeah. I want to hear about the history of it. But before we do, tell us mm -hmm. about the life impacting nature. Like what, how does this affect you in the present day? In the present day, the way it impacts me the most is I never know, even from one minute to the next, how I'm going to feel. I could wake up and feel great full of energy, nothing hurts too bad, ready to take on my day, go like that for a few hours. You know, I can sling around 50 pound boxes of books at the shop and be fine, a little achy. But then if I bend over to pick up a notebook or reach up to pick up a glass out of the cabinet, I can dislocate. Wow. Just like that. Or throw my back out. Just if I yawn wrong without making sure that my neck is straight. I can literally strain from the ear down to my shoulder and I can't speak or swallow or hardly breathe for a few minutes when that happens, I'm just frozen. On the other side, I can wake up after a sound night's sleep with my shoulder completely dislocated. Hmm. And then I have to put it back in and oh. carry on. <laughs> so it, for me, it's, it's not so much the constant pain because there is, there's a constant baseline of pain that I live with, that's always there. For me, it's so much the unpredictability, the fact that I can't really plan. And because of the unpredictability, I have to rely on medication hmm. to get me through the rough patches. And I don't like to take medication. Yeah, what medication do you take? Um, right now, I take, I take a nerve pain, medicine at night called gabapentin that helps me sleep yeah 
because otherwise I don't sleep because due to the autism, I have a hard time sleeping because my brain's always going. Mm. But then I also can't get comfortable because of the other sand loads. So that helps me get comfortable. Um, I also take tramadol, which is a narcotic, which I do not like at all. Um, and that is the one that probably bothers me the most. I do not like taking it. I take the minimum amount I can. And I, I, I am a bit of a joke among the medical professionals in my life because I literally keep track of my medication usage with a spreadsheet, with an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> because I want to make sure I'm not taking too much. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't like it at all. Um, so those, those are the two things I take. I also have to take like fiber supplements because people with Ehlers-Danlos have very stretchy collagen and that impacts your digestive system. Hmm. So I have to make sure that I have plenty of fiber supplements in my diet, that I drink a lot of water because you just can't have any of those systems getting dried out. So yeah, it's that, that that's what I have to do for the medication part. And it's just not fun. It's not fun. And my biggest struggle is probably surrounding the medication. I don't like the way I get treated um, due to what I take. I don't like getting close to running out before my next refill is yeah. very terrifying, oh, especially yeah. in the Midwest in the winter when we could get hit with an ice storm out of nowhere and not be able to go anywhere for a few days. And that's happened several times where there was an ice storm hitting the day I was supposed to refill. And you cannot talk those pharmacists into refilling early. Yeah. So you have to really watch it, especially in the winter and just the way you're treated. Um, I've had a few things where I once dislocated my ankle really bad at work when I was taking a walk on break when I worked in a desk job. And I was, it, it was at probably parallel, my foot was parallel to the sidewalk. I was standing on my ankle um, all the way out. I had to put it back in, walk back to work, finished my day. Went home, iced it. Um, I had I went in for an X-ray the next morning because it just didn't feel like I put it in right. And I did. I got someone who didn't know me as as my doctor because my regular doctor was out, and he accused me of drug seeking. Yeah. Once he saw, he was like, "Well, your ankle doesn't look like it was. It's fine. It's not even swollen." I'm like, "Yeah, I have Ehlers-Danlos. Duh. I, I'm not going to swell up right away." I put it back in. You just have to look at my chart to believe me. He literally thought I was there looking for drugs. Yeah. And I had to say to him, I don't need a prescription. I have painkillers at home. I just want you to authorize an x-ray so I know I put my, my ankle back in right. So it's that kind of prejudice that bothers me too. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I'm just realizing even still how much, how triggering it is for me to hear people talk about that because that's happened to me as well mm -hmm. when i go to seek help and i'm accused of drug seeking behavior and mm -hmm. there's this new show on amazon prime called harlem and it's fantastic uh andy and i've been watching it and loving it but there is a scene where a character goes to the doctor asking for help and is accused of drug seeking behavior and it upset mm -hmm. me so much <laughs> it's just like you know, like, I know, I know that this happens to people constantly, you know, we talk about it on mm -hmm. the show all the time, but then like seeing it dramatized in a way that was mm -hmm. so accurate and just so yes. infuriating. And of course that character ends up back in the hospital, like the next mm -hmm. day with something very serious that, you know, could have been life-threatening if not treated because mm -hmm. this doctor refused to treat it. And it's just like, like, why, 
why is that our reality? You know, like why, why is that right. what we all have to deal with? I, I just can't, I, it, it's just, it's horrible. It's so awful. It is. And because of what that doctor did, he did finally authorize an x-ray, but he was like, well, yeah, it looks fine. You're fine. Go away. Yeah. Well, it turns out, you know, three months later, I was still having problems with that ankle because it should have been booted. I should have gotten proper care for it, but he wouldn't give me a boot. He wouldn't brace it. He just completely turned me away. And to this day, that ankle is still more prone to dislocating than the other one because it was never allowed to heal properly. So it definitely, that one incident had a lasting impact. Yeah. And it was because he thought I was drug seeking. And I, I don't go to, I don't go to the ER. I don't go to urgent care. I don't go to other doctors unless it is an absolute life or death emergency anymore. And because of that, I have delayed medical care on things by a week or two and it's made this problem worse mm -hmm. because i'm afraid to go and seek help sometimes yeah so oh, i totally feel you on that it's it's rough you know it's mm -hmm. <laughs> going to the hospital as someone with a chronic illness it can be mm -hmm. one of the most horrifying or if not the most horrifying part of living with the chronic illness and it's not yes. it's like it's almost worse than having to deal with the chronic pain and you know mm -hmm. and the illness itself is having to constantly be made to feel like you are doing something wrong by seeking help, like let, not, let alone getting help, you know, but being told that you're doing something wrong by even asking. And it's like, you start, you start to feel like your own body has been devalued by the medical system. And like mm -hmm. you as a human being is devalued. And it's, it's really, really upsetting. Like, it, you know, it's, it's one of like the big problems in the world, as far as I'm concerned, as someone with a chronic illness. Yeah. It's like one of those things that like, I, but, but on the other side, I, I think about it constantly, you know, I think about it all the time and I have no idea what to do about it. Like, I have no idea what sort of advocacy work would even be helpful. Um, I, I, I don't see any path to making things better. The only thing that has worked for me is just like switching doctors constantly until I found someone that I didn't mm -hmm. feel that way with. And now I've found that now and it's like, oh my God, it exists, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it exists here in Seattle at the University of Washington. And even there I had to cycle through a ton of doctors to find people that would take me seriously. Even there, I was still gaslit by a few doctors or, mm -hmm. you know, things were said to me that were like insanely, um, upsetting and, and, uh, and, uh, what's the word, um, I don't know. We'll go with rude. <laughs> yeah, just rude. Yeah, inconsiderate. Inconsiderate, I guess, is the word I'm trying to yeah. think of. I've, I've had that happen, too. Um, I've had doctors who, in the middle of an appointment, this happened, the worst one was once. I went in because my hip kept dislocating following a vein surgery. The scar tissue from the vein surgery was pulling my hip down out of the joint because it was a major surgery. I went into a orthopedic surgeon and he was talking to me just fine and then he noticed on my chart that I'm autistic and then he started talking to me like <laughs> this oh my God. do you understand what I'm saying what and I looked at him and I said buddy I guarantee I have more degrees than you and that I have a higher IQ <laughs> and so I picked up my stuff and left yeah and then I called the clinic and they said, oh, my goodness, I, we're so sorry. So they put me through, they made an appointment with a different orthopedic surgeon in the same clinic. 
I get there and he's like, okay, so I heard what happened. I just want you to know my roommate was autistic in college. We're fine. He's like, why don't you tell me what you think's going on? I said, this is what I think's going on. I have Ehlers-Danlos, blah, 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 scar tissue. He's like, yeah, you, you are absolutely right. That is what's going on with your hip. Here's what we need to do to fix it. Wow. Night and day. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's yes. one of those things. Yeah. When you have multiple conditions, you just don't know how people are going to perceive you. Mm-hmm. For me, especially because I am so physically active, I get the whole, well, you don't look sick yeah thing and i'm like what's that supposed to mean i don't look autistic how do autistic people look yeah you have two invisible diseases yeah yeah and and then the other one well you don't look like you're disabled you don't look like you have joint problems and i'm like well (laughs) i I don't know i'm not in a wheelchair no in the winter yeah my arms aren't dangling uselessly at my sides what do you expect from me (laughs) and then then it goes further and they're like well but you pick up 50 pound boxes of books all the time you spend 10 to 12 hours on your feet how how can you have any problems yeah how can you do that if there's something wrong with you and i'm like well because that's how it gets better for me Mm -hmm. being active is how i feel better that's the only treatment i have that works is to be in shape is to be physically active to constantly go and be building my my muscle strength and making sure that my body works right absolutely if i tried to take it easy i would feel worse and you'd get worse it's like you know the less you do the worse you'd get Mm -hmm. and 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 for some people for some people you do you can't do all the things that i do some people can't and that's understandable but the fact that that the way i look makes people think that i'm either exaggerating or i'm lying it even makes medical professionals doubt me because i don't look like anything's wrong yeah so it's very frustrating yeah i i felt the same exact way especially when i was younger um you know Because like I said, like now I do feel like I have doctors who care and like your story about switching, you know, the orthopedic doctor and finding one that was better. Like sometimes that's all it takes is just like try someone else. And I, I, for some reason, I feel like there, there is a social stigma against uh, patients getting second opinions. There's like this weird thing of like, oh, well, you know, all doctors are right. So if this doctor says something, it's going to be the same thing the other doctor says. But I've experienced it, and I've heard stories over and over of people switching doctors and having better luck. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I—that's the one thing that I always recommend is like if you're not being treated well, try someone else. And yeah. sometimes you have to try like a half dozen to a dozen people because for some reason there is this culture of of non-belief in in mm-hmm. the medical system where if you know if 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 they run basic blood tests and it comes back normal, then you're fine. When in fact, that's just like scratching the surface of what's possible. You know, I can speak to that personally where I, you know, doctors ran the same basic blood tests on Mm -hmm. me over and over for over a decade and didn't find anything wrong. And then finally ran some new tests and found some things wrong. And it's like, oh yeah, well now this points in a new direction and all of a sudden the whole tone of everything that they say changes. But it's like, Mm -hmm. why did it take me over a decade to get that type of care like that is wrong you know like uh, oh where i've been you know unable to work for like five and a half years almost five and a half years at this point um because 
because of this illness, it's become like very obvious, but I jumped, I jumped from like people not believing me straight into people saying, oh, well, I don't know how to help you. You know, there was no middle ground at first. Mm -hmm. It's like they either don't believe you and can't help you, or it's like, oh, well, we've run every test and we have no idea how to help you. So you might have a new disease. There's nothing we can do. I I jumped straight to that. And it was like, Mm -hmm. like, where's the part where we actually try to figure out what I have? You know, like we're doing that now. We're finally doing that now. I finally have um, like a good care team doing that. But it took like, it, it just took luck, I guess, just yeah. finding a doctor who was willing to help. And it shouldn't be that way. No, no, it shouldn't. I, I went through several primary care doctors before I found the one I have now. And she is amazing. She's absolutely amazing. She lets me manage my conditions on my own. Um, she works with me on the fact that I, I'm self-employed and I don't have insurance because getting insurance to the marketplace was just the deductibles were too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's great about giving me discounts, about not ordering unnecessary tests, about listening to me and just letting me manage my condition the way that works for me. Yeah. Instead of going, well, my other patients that have this do this. But no, for her, each patient is individual. And yeah. she works not only within the illness and condition, she looks at other things like your life. Do you have mental health care? Are you seeing a therapist? How is that impacting your body? Um, a couple of years ago, I, bought, I got bit by a brown recluse. And so she made sure, you know, every appointment since then has been, are you having any residual effects from that? How did that interact with Ehlers-Danlos with you? Did it set off an Ehlers-Danlos pain hmm. episode? She's really good about looking at the whole system and not just one thing like oh you have migraines take this oh you have your shoulder hurts take this she's like no let's find something that works for the whole system yeah that's she's i'm really so good. glad to hear that that's so important yeah. when your primary care is good that's like mm-hmm. that's almost the most important doctor to yeah. to have to have your back because they will keep opening up doors for you and trying yeah. for you even if answers can't be found but exactly yeah I'm, i needed yeah. a hysterectomy a few years ago and uh we went through several OBGYNs until we found one that would listen to both of us and treat me with respect and not be scared off by the fact that I have Ehlers-Danlos because a lot of people don't want to operate on people with a connective tissue disorder. We're difficult. Yeah. We scar easily. We don't heal quickly. Even our anesthesia has to be different. Hmm. They had to give me what they refer to as the party mix because I can't tolerate a lot of the normal anesthesia so they had to give me higher grade stuff um (laughs) basically i mean basically i was i was really partying in my mind is what they said i I was getting the really good primo stuff was it it propofol um they gave me that they gave me fentanyl morphine i mean they had me loaded up because they can't give me like valium or any of the lower end stuff because it just doesn't work on me yeah, because and not only that, yeah, not only that, but if you put under someone, if you have someone with Ehlers Danlos and you put them under, they no longer can protect their own joints. Hmm. So you have to watch every single inch of them while they are under. You can't just pick them up and, you know, I mean, the, 
doctors and nurses can be a little rough when you're out cold sometimes because they just need to like move you from bed to bed yeah and get you in position but with someone like me you can't do that wow. you have to literally look at the hand is the hand placed properly is the elbow proper is your neck nice and straight and so they they had they had to really work that whole team had to had to work with my primary care and everybody else to make sure that every joint in my body was protected to the point where I had, you know, the special anesthesia mix. They took me into the operating room fully conscious and let me place myself on the operating table and make sure that I was in the position that I would have wanted for myself before they knocked me out. Yeah, that's I mean, fascinating. Yeah. So you're basically like actively holding your joints in their sockets all day some days yeah wow. I mean, i'm very careful um I'm, I'm also very accident prone if you just look at me day to day you'd think that i wasn't careful because i'm constantly running into things and getting bruised and hurt but i'm actually paying a lot of attention and i'm moving in very specific ways that i have developed over the course of my four decades wow oh so, yeah Wow. I'm curious to hear a little bit about your history with your two diseases. We did an amazing episode about autism recently, which really opened my eyes to what autism is, which was so fascinating, uh, with Mina, who was actually diagnosed as an adult. So, I'm curious, when were you diagnosed with autism? Mid-30s. Really? Wow. Yeah, so, as an adult. adult also. Wow. Yeah. What was that process like? Um, I always knew I was different. Everyone knew I was different. My whole family knew I was different. Friends knew. I got bullied a lot as a kid because I just, I didn't get things. You know, I was socially awkward. I didn't pick up on cues. You know, just the weird kid. And I was told in my uh, late teens, early 20s by a doctor, because I got sent to therapy because they thought I was really depressed. And I was, to be fair, I was. I had an undiagnosed pain condition and an undiagnosed neurological condition. Of course, I was depressed. Hmm. And she looked at me after a few sessions and said, I think, I think what we have here is that you just need to get used to the fact that you're always going to be different. She's like, I don't know why you're different. Because back then, they didn't talk about autism. This was in the 90s. Hmm. I'm 46 years old. So, if that puts it into context, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, they didn't talk about autism. Everyone had the Rain Man version of autism in their head, which is so wrong. <laughs> and so she's like, you're just going to have to get used to the fact that you're, you're the weird person. You're always going to be a little different. We just don't know why. But you seem like you could still have a happy life. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I guess we're done with therapy. So <laughs> went along, went along. You know, entered the workforce after my first degree. Getting my second degree later, like 15 years later, and I just, I wasn't fitting into the office environment that I was in. I just, I couldn't grasp the office politics. I was miserable. I, I had this primary care physician for a long time that just kept misdiagnosing me. She decided I was bipolar and had me on all these awful medications that weren't doing what they needed to do. They were making everything worse. So, I finally just dropped her, found a new doctor. Within 15 minutes, that new doctor, who moved away, unfortunately, um, she just looked at me and said, I don't think you're depressed at all. I said, what do you think I am then? She's like, I think you're frustrated, and I think you're pissed off as all hell at the world. She said, and furthermore, 
we already know that you don't have fibromyalgia, which is what I was originally diagnosed as. We know that you just got re-diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos. That's probably part of it too. She's like, but no, you, you don't have bipolar. You're autistic. Hmm. And at that time, um, autism was still split between uh, autism and Asperger's syndrome, which now it's been combined. And the, the term Asperger's has problematic history, which we won't get into, but it's pretty fascinating. Um, and so sent me for evaluation, came back autistic, and they, in, the process was brutal. It was like a two-day ordeal of just constant testing, mental, emotional, physical, motor skills, intelligence. It was brutal. Come back for it, and then I meet with the panel of doctors, because it was like a panel of four or five doctors, specialists. They're like, so yeah, you are autistic. And furthermore, emotionally, mentally, you're fine. Hmm. You don't need to be on any of these medications that they've got you on. You don't even need therapy. It's like, you're fine. You just need that diagnosis so that you know how to tell people why you're different and you have the legal protection hmm. in the workplace. Because I, wow. I was being written up for not smiling enough. I was being written <laughs> up for not being social enough with my coworkers. I, mean, I was being written up for really stupid things that yeah. were all related to the fact that I'm autistic. I didn't know what you expected me to do when you said that. And so, yeah, it was great. I, I did go to a therapist for a few sessions because they wanted me to learn how to talk to other people about autism. And, and yeah, so, and it was just like that, that diagnosis right there changed my entire world. The, uh, the decades of frustration just fell off of me. Mm. It was like in my, my spouse, Gabe, I've been with him for over 25 years. He noticed a change overnight. Just overnight, I became happy. I was relaxed. I was no longer frustrated and pissed off all the time. Um, it, it was just an amazing process to see all of that fall away from me. Wow. And then I was able to truly become who I was inside. Yeah. And I'm very open about it. I will talk to anybody about autism. I'm very open about it because I am one, in my opinion, I'm one of the more fortunate autistics out there. I'm, I'm verbal. There are very few occasions where I will go nonverbal and it's usually pain related. Um, there are very few occasions where I will have such overstimulation that I have to isolate or I, and when I, I've managed to, to focus my stimming into acceptable behaviors hmm. that are not as noticeable. Um, and I'm really good. Honestly, I'm, I think I'm better at reading people than a lot of neurotypical people are at this point because I've trained myself to do it. Yeah. Um, so it, I'm really open about it because I feel like it's, I'm almost obligated to teach people what autism really is. That that's one of the things I need to do is just be open about it and show people what autism really is. Totally. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you know, like talking with Mina about how autism is sort of like a different operating system mm -hmm. for the brain. Um, it's just so so fascinating to to think about and to not know what operating system you run on and then find out in your 30s. I, mm -hmm. I can't believe that you had that experience as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's so, it's so powerful to get a diagnosis like that and to 
be able to recontextualize all the things that you thought of as being wrong with yourself as as fine. There, it's not mm-hmm. wrong. It's just you know there was a fundamental piece of mis- information missing, and now yeah. you like make more sense to yourself and to the people around you, and that that's that's so powerful. You know, it I, is. I love that idea of like it's not necessarily who you are that needs to change. It's under it's learning the understanding of who you are to to be comfortable and mm-hmm. functional within who you are because we should exactly. all we should all have that you know that that that's what i want for everyone is to for everyone to be able to just be themselves you know and mm-hmm. i and that can show up in however it shows up as long as it doesn't cause harm to other people um, right yeah like i'm a very firm believer that people should be allowed to be themselves no matter no matter what that means and you know to to find out who you are in that way with a diagnosis is so powerful. Like that's that's why I want a diagnosis for my mystery illness so badly because I want to yes. understand myself. Like I want to know what is happening in my body so desperately right. because it will reframe my entire life. And every time we think we have the diagnosis, it reframes my life in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then I have to throw it away once we find out the diagnosis was wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like exhausting. I just want to know what it is. Yes, but each time you're learning something new about yourself. Absolutely. So, so I know myself pretty well. <laughs> yeah. The funniest thing about, for me, about getting the autism diagnosis was that was the first time I realized that not everybody sees music. Wow. I've only I seen have, music a couple of times and yeah. I, it was in college and marijuana was involved. <laughs> exactly. Most people need some, some extra help seeing yeah. it, but I have... I have a lot of different forms of synesthesia. Yeah. Um, most of them are, are either auditory or tactile. Um, when I hear things, like even now just talking, when I hear your voice, I'm seeing it too. And I'm also physically feeling it. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah. I'm kind of jealous. Yeah, every, <laughs> yeah. Everything I hear. So it makes music great. And some people's voices are very beautiful. But it has a downside to um, ambulance sirens, mm. fire alarms, people yelling. Those feel awful. Yeah. Um, it Basically, it's like I'm getting stabbed if someone is talking in a very shrill voice very loudly next to me. Mm. So, there's a downside to it, too. But it took, it took until my 30s before I realized that not everybody experiences that stuff the way I do. Yeah. So, did you say that you were diagnosed with um, autism after Ehlers-Danlos? Yes, yes. They were within a year of each other. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Ta- before we get into your Ehlers-Danlos diagnosis, tell me a little bit about your childhood, because you had these two invisible diseases your whole life and had no idea. So, what was it like growing up? Um, it, was, it was painful <laughs> in many <laughs> <Yeah>. ways. Um, <laughs> So, I, uh, background is I, I grew up with my dad as a single father, was a single father back then. So, it was just him and I for a long time. Um, and so, it basically took the whole family to raise me because I was born when he was very young. So, it was my dad, my two aunts, and my grandparents all together raising me. And we all have strange bodies, hmm. but none of us knew why. So, my family, we're really good about the whole, okay, you got hurt, get your ass back up. You got stuff to do. 
you can't sit around. Let's go. Hmm. There, there was no time for feeling sorry for yourself. Um, if you were truly hurt, sure, we took care of each other. But you just, in my family, it's like, yeah, okay, it hurts. You got hurt. You fell down. You scraped your knee. Your ankle was a little wobbly, but you still got to carry on. So it was kind of a tough love. It sounds kind of cruel, but honestly, it wasn't cruel. It was more like, okay, we don't know what's wrong. Let's just keep going. Yeah. Do what you can. It, it was more accepting, but still expecting you to carry on and not let it get you down. So it wasn't really as harsh as it sounds. But yeah, I, I would get hurt all the time. I was gangly. My knees look weird. My <laughs> elbows look weird. I've got a really long neck, which is part of why I wear flannels with collars all the time. <laughs> you know, it was, I was just a weird looking kid. I was really scrawny, clumsy. I, I would run into things. I couldn't play sports to save my life. You do not want to throw a ball at me. I will not catch it. <laughs> I will most likely get hit in the face with it, even to this day. Um, just weak, no upper body strength whatsoever. You know, it, and I just, I got hurt all the time. I would hurt when there was no obvious reason to hurt, which got me in a lot of trouble with school nurses and whatnot, because a lot of people just didn't believe me. My family did. They're like, yeah, okay, so you say you hurt. We don't know why, though, so we don't know what to do because they all have the same problem. They all have hurts that they can't explain. And so it just, it was rough, but it also taught me resiliency. Um, it was exhausting, not knowing, and that took its toll as I became a teenager. And I would have to power through a lot of the other things that my friends were doing. I, I used to skateboard. I wasn't very good at it, but I did it. I tried. Um, but it was hard to keep up with my friends. You know, I was in marching band and I played Barry Sax, hmm. not alto. And I was really short anyway back then. So, you know, I had to power through all of that to do what I wanted to do. So that's where I kind of learned the whole, yeah, something's wrong, but I still have a life to live. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to slow down at all. But, you know, it caused a lot of problems. Um, it started causing a lot of depression because I was just tired of trying to explain to people, no, I, I'm in too much pain. Well, why? You look fine. Whatever. You know, like, no, I, my, my ankle hurts. My hip hurts. I, I have a migraine. It just, it got really hard knowing that no one believed me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the doctors didn't believe me. So, yeah, I got hit with pretty hard depression in my late teens because of it. But yeah, I mean, that, that's my childhood in a nutshell. Yeah. So tell me about being diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos and how did that change things for you? Um, I finally just started getting mad at doctors and just like, you have, you have to figure out what's wrong with me. You have to. Something's wrong. I'm going to start telling you every little thing and we're going to figure this out. <laughs> so I started reading up on things. I started demanding answers and just being like, no, I don't want to take more medicine. Tell me what's wrong and just arguing. And so finally, that was about when I guess everyone was getting diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Right. It felt like that was the hot thing. And so doctors were just, it felt like they were just slapping that diagnosis on everybody. Yeah. And for sure, there are people out there with fibromyalgia. Yes. And it's serious and they need the diagnosis, but doctors weren't being particularly choosy about how they were applying that. Totally. Yes. 
And so I got slapped with it and put on medication that honestly made everything worse. I should not have been taking any of that. And I finally was like, I'm telling you, it's, it's not fibromyalgia. It's not actually my muscles that hurt. It's not the muscles. It's, it's the ligaments. It's the tendons. It's the connection points. It's mm. the joints themselves. And my skin is really stretchy. Why is my skin stretchy? You know, why am I so sensitive to everything? Why do I have to change clothes all the time? Because the fabric is hurting my skin. Mm. You know, like, why, why do I scar from a paper cut? I'm like, none of this makes sense. None of this is fibromyalgia. And I finally just demanded, I said, you're not doing a good enough job to my, to my primary at the time. I said, you send me to a specialist right now. <laughs> I said, I don't even care what specialist you send me to one. <laughs> and she just, and I, I was getting mad. And so she finally did. And she sent me to a rheumatologist. And the rheumatologist was like, okay, well, let, let's just look at your range of motion. Let's poke at you a little bit. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And starts poking, calls in a couple other doctors. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm, I'm the freak on, on display today. So I start poking, poking. Well, can you do this? Can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I'll show you all my party tricks. You know, because I can bend in pretty weird ways. I always have been able to. <laughs> And he, he sat back and he said, okay, you don't have fibromyalgia. I said, okay, what do I have? You've got hypermobility. And I said, hypermobility, okay. He's like, also known as, at that time, Ehlers-Danlos type 3. Because mm. that was when they still thought there were only three types of Ehlers-Danlos. And so, and it's also fascinating the way, you know, Europe and the U.S. classifies this stuff. Over here, it's hypermobility was hypermobility over in Europe, it was Ehlers-Danlos type three. So, so he's like, okay, so we just need to take you off this medicine. Here are some exercises you can do. We'll send you to physical therapy, blah, blah, blah. And then he just let me go. I was like, that's it. He's like, yeah, that's all we can do. Let me go. Hmm. That wasn't the proper way to manage it either. <laughs> um, and then it's then, but still it made things better though, because I had, I had the proper diagnosis that felt right. You yeah. know if the diagnosis feels right. And it felt right. And it finally got people to get off my ass about, oh, well, just, you know, do yoga or <laughs> go get massages or just think positive or take sugar out of your diet. I mean, I've heard everything. You've heard everything, I'm sure. Yep. Right? And <laughs> yeah, it's like, absolutely. okay, whatever. So then it still took a few years to find a good doctor that was capable of managing everything. And then she's like, okay, well, let's change your medicine. Let's take you off this. Let's take you off this. If you're not comfortable with physical therapy, don't go, you know, and eventually that morphed into my current doctor who we've agreed. I do what feels right on a day-to-day -day situation. If one day I need more medicine, great. One day I need less, awesome. If one day I feel like doing three hours of martial arts, awesome, do it. If one day I wake up and I can't move, sit on your ass and watch TV then. You know, she's like, you're just going to have to manage this on your own because I can't tell you what's going to work. Mm -hmm. And it's been great since then. Yeah. What, what's the difference been in your quality of life? Um, having a good doctor and the diagnosis, the right diagnosis, it's, it has made my life so much easier. Mm -hmm. um, I know my body better. I've learned workarounds, like if I need to open a bottle of soda, 
I don't open it like most people would. I, I twist my arm around so I can get enough torque. Because if I try to open it the way most people will, I might overextend a finger, dislocate a finger joint. So I've learned all these good workarounds because now I understand my body better. I understand what it's doing. I can say, like when I had the vein surgery and the scar tissue from the vein was pulling my hip out, most people wouldn't have been able to figure that out because they, they don't know how their bodies work. And just having all of that behind me has given me the confidence to trust my body and to trust myself and that it's okay to change my behavior day to day. I don't always have to be the tough one. Yeah. So it's made a massive difference. That's awesome. Are you, uh, so making this podcast, I've become much more connected with the chronic illness community and I've just seen an absolute explosion in the amount of people um, diagnosed with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos. Is that something that you're aware of? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely getting to be more commonly diagnosed. Um, It used to be considered a very rare syndrome that, you know, no one ever heard of. It's pretty, it's not often that I come across a medical professional that hasn't at least heard of it now. They may not understand it. They may still need to be educated, which... I'm a great patient when it comes to educating doctors who don't know about my conditions. And I advise every person with a condition to fully educate themselves on it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's becoming more understood, I think. And I'm even running into more people that also have it in my local community, Hmm. which has been pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, totally. Um, So do you think that the, the explosion in diagnoses is more to do with, uh, awareness growing about the disease? I think it's a combination of medical professionals becoming more aware of it and patients becoming more knowledgeable about mm-hmm. their, their medical history and their own bodies and how to research on their own and find the information that they need to take that to the doctor and saying, hey, have you thought of this for me yet? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of that. Yeah. It's been really interesting to watch from the outside because, you know, I, I am someone who was misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia and conversion disorder, but I don't have Ehlers-Danlos. You know, we, I've talked about that with a few doctors. I don't have hypermobility. I've never dislocated a joint. Um, and I don't show the signs of the other forms of Ehlers-Danlos. So, um, we're reasonably sure that I don't have it. So it's just been interesting for me to see this thing happening around this disease and to see so many people getting this answer um, mm-hmm. and having it make such a positive impact in so many people's lives to, to have an answer. And it, it feels like chronic illness as a whole is just like a bucket of misdiagnoses, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to be misdiagnosed first. Yeah. Unless someone else in your family already has the condition. Totally. For totally. example, anyone in my family now, if they went to the doctor and said, hey, can you consider that I might have Ehlers-Danlos? My sister, my daughter, you know, my niece has it. Now they can say, well, we, that is a known genetic condition that is hereditary. Yeah. So that, that will give strength to anyone else in your family to get the right diagnosis too. Absolutely. So yeah. that's what's been pretty amazing about it too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you've learned a lot, not just about, you know, both of your invisible conditions, 
but just about yourself in general. So, mm -hmm. and it sounds like you had a painful time as a child, not having this knowledge about yourself, but you made it through, you know, you, mm -hmm. you made it and you are, it seems like you're doing better now than ever. You've learned how to uh, manage these conditions. Is that, would you say that? Are you feeling like you're doing better now than ever? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Um, especially with the autism, all that took for me was education. Yeah. Um, at least while I was in an office environment, the legal protection with the diagnosis was very important to me um, because, you know, if they were going to do fire alarm testings, I could leave because of, the, of mm. you know, that if they wanted to start getting on me about not being social enough or not picking up on things, um, I could also ask for special things like, please send me what you're requesting in written format rather than telling me verbally. Or please don't raise your voice at me, which you shouldn't be yelling at your employees anyway, but you really can't do it with me now um, because, you know, of my auditory processing. So the legal protection was great. Um, and, but for Ehlers-Danlos, it was also just the relief of finally knowing and being secure in that. That really was the most impactful above the autism because now I know if I'm taking an easy day, people aren't going to think I'm just lazy. If I'm complaining or, you know, for me mentioning that something hurts, they're not going to think I'm just whining. They're going to know that if I'm saying that, you know, this is bad today, it's because of my condition. I'm not just a healthy person trying to get out of something that they yeah. just don't want to do or whatever, you know, and it just, it really has made the, the biggest difference in me. And yeah, I'm doing great now. There are still hiccups. There are still days when I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to, I don't feel like cleaning the kitchen. There are days when I struggle through work. I still have days when the autism stuff kicks in and I don't want to be around people. But in general, getting those diagnoses were, were the best things that have ever happened in my life to let me move forward with being who I really am on the inside, being who I am, you know, in my mind and in my heart. Yeah, that's rather so Rather than powerful. just a bag of defective bones. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, my last question for you is, you know, given everything you've learned and the incredible uh, benefits you've gotten from finally getting these diagnoses. What message would you send to someone, maybe someone who's younger, who is dealing with similar problems, who is undiagnosed, trying to get help from doctors and doctors are not taking them seriously? It's just so hard to keep going and keep trying. And you made it and you, you crossed that line, you got the help, you got the answers. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it took so much perseverance. It sounds like it took you getting mad and just pushing and pushing. What advice do you have to someone at the beginning of this journey who's feeling like it's impossible? Don't wait for the anger to come on its own. Get mad now. Get mad about it now. Stand up for yourself. Take people with you to your doctor's appointments if you need the moral support. Mm -hmm. A friend. It doesn't matter. A brother, a sister, whoever. If you need someone next to you to help you be brave, to help you speak your mind, to hold your hand even while you get mad at what's going on, do it. Who cares if they learn private information about you? It doesn't matter. If you need to get better, 
you have to let go of the privacy first off and you have to start yelling about it. You have to start saying, I want the diagnosis. Take me seriously. I don't want to take this. I don't want to do this. Um, just let, let that frustration come out of you. Don't, don't be nice about it either. Don't worry about hurting a doctor's feelings. Don't worry about being annoying. If the doctor's not taking you seriously, find a new one. But more than that also, and this is something that I struggle with when I bump up against it in other people, don't let what's going on with your health rule your mind. Yeah. Do not lose yourself in it. Do not let it ruin your life. Do not let it ruin relationships. Be patient with yourself, yes. Be understanding, but don't become a victim to what is going on with your body. Do not adopt that mantle of victimhood because it is so hard to come out of that mm. if you let yourself fall into that. And ultimately, it will make your conditions worse. So instead, be a fighter, be a warrior, be your true self. If that includes crying a lot, if that includes reaching out to people, if that includes getting mad and yelling at doctors, I mean, I don't yell at people if you don't have to, but if you have to get up in a doctor's face about something, do it. Just don't be a victim about it because that's not going to help you get better. And don't be afraid to ignore the limitations if you can. I was told that I would absolutely never, 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 you should never do martial arts. Never. I wanted to do martial arts though. They're beautiful. I wanted to do it. I felt like I needed to do it. I was told for decades, no, no, that'll hurt you. You're not strong enough. It'll make your condition worse. But guess what? Made it better. It made it so much better. It gave me the exercise I needed without being bored with exercise, because who really wants to be on a treadmill, right? And it gave me the self-discipline I needed to stand up for myself. It gave me the body awareness that I need to monitor myself, to make the adjustments that I need to get through my day. And depending on how deep you want to go into which discipline, it can give you an inner peace. It can give you a peace of mind. It can give you a structure to fall back on to help you through the really hard days. So don't be afraid to test those limitations. Don't let whatever's going on limit your life unless it absolutely has to. Obviously, I'm not going to go play football or something like that. Yeah. You know? well, that's, that's great advice. I mean, it's very hard to not let chronic illness take over your life and define who you are, but it is incredibly important that it not be the only thing that you define yourself by. Incredibly yeah. important. You know, it, yeah. yeah, that that is really great advice. Find find a passion, find a hobby, find something, mm -hmm. you know, do something that feels positive and productive with your time. And even if it has to look totally different than it would have looked before, there's get, get creative and find something. You know, we can all do that. Absolutely. Exactly. Modify things. With my martial arts, I don't spar with other people because I would get hurt. You know, people can't always control their punches or kicks. You know, I don't do extremely hard routines that could hurt me. I modify things. Certain things I can't do as well as, you know, someone with a more typical body. But you can modify things. 
I modify things at the shop all the time. I push things around on carts. I've learned how to move fixtures with my legs instead of my arms by sitting on the floor and pushing them with my feet. <laughs> yeah. Modify your world. With autism, I've modified so many things too. Modify it until you can do what you want to do with your life. Because there, there's so much out there to experience. Absolutely. Don't miss out on any of it. Absolutely. That's a wonderful way to wrap up this conversation. Brandy, you've done a fantastic job today. Thank you so much for your time and your wise words and your experience. Um, but tell us where people can find you online, find your comic book store or your social media. Okay. I am on Facebook. Um, the Comic Shop's Facebook page is called Distant Planet Comics and Collectibles. So you can look us up there. We've also got a YouTube channel um, that doesn't have a whole lot on it. Right now, I just do like weekly videos on Facebook and YouTube about the new releases and titles that I'm really excited about coming. And then occasionally I can get one of the guys at the shop to come on, but they're all really shy. <laughs> so they just let me make a fool of myself on camera. And then I'm also going to start up some new stuff with uh, like reviews on comics and stuff. And I do a lot of reviews on minority created comics or disability stories, stuff like that. So you can definitely find me there. So yeah, Facebook and YouTube, if you want to check out some of the shop stuff. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time. I am uh, really excited to share your story. And, you know, there, e even when people have different diseases, there is so much commonality in the experience and mm -hmm. so much catharsis and just like hearing from someone else who's been through similar things. Um, so, you know, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, and Alexandria Henderson. And our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.